You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderlin, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. Well, take your Bible, if you would, and turn with me. We're going to look at probably one of the top, depending on what church you grew up in, maybe maybe the most famous verse in the Bible, or probably top five, uh, regardless of what church you were part of. We're going to look at John chapter 3 this morning. And see a story. Jesus had a guest that came and stopped by by night. Uh, we don't know exactly why, but that's in there. That, we're told that for a reason. And, you know, this was long before LED lighting had come along, before electricity and flashlights weren't around. And a very high-ranking religious leader came to ask Jesus some questions. And he probably really didn't want other people to know that he was coming around to figure some things out. And he came, he, he saw what Jesus was doing. In fact, he says, we know you're from God. But there was a disconnect in his brain because he could see what Jesus was doing, what he was teaching, what was going on. And he's like, this is obviously from God, but this is not anything that I've ever been taught. And it's not what I've been teaching. So he's kind of like, what? What what do I do with this? And he came looking for answers in his life. I find often for most people when you've been brought up in a very uh, religious home or a family of, of faith of some sort, that oftentimes the things that we've learned and our traditions that we've grown up with that we've become accustomed to that we really don't know why as a kid why we do them, you just kind of go through the motions. That's just what we do. That somewhere along the way as an adult, you begin asking questions. Well, why is that? Why, why do we do that? What is behind that? And this man that we're going to see tonight, or this morning, excuse me, Nicod- he was at night, we're in the morning. Nicodemus came to Jesus and, and Jesus blows his mind because here he was a religious leader that really had accepted some things that weren't true, had given himself to some religious traditions, and Jesus just kind of cut through all of that. And he's trying to understand really what a relationship with Jesus is all about. He's really trying to understand what a person's got to do to go to heaven. What do you have to really do to be a part of God's kingdom, to, to be saved, we might say, to be forgiven of sin and to go to heaven, to know when you die that you're going to go to the good place and not the bad place. He has those kinds of questions in his mind. And so Jesus helps him. He kind of pokes him a little bit like you're... You're a teacher and you don't know this? Like, how can you be a math professor and not understand what plus one equals two? What is going on? So he's, he's really trying to help him to understand simply what it means to be a child of God and to go to heaven. So this morning, as simple and as succinctly as I know how to, to just take what Jesus shared with him, I want to share that with you. And so some of you this morning are in a similar spot. Of just you've been raised religiously and you've been very faithful in that and very committed and dedicated to it, and you've got kind of this question going on in your mind. Well, these are the things that I've taught and I've experienced and all of that, but now that I'm really looking at the Bible, I'm seeing some different things. You're just exactly where Nicodemus is. And so I want to encourage you, this passage is exactly for you. You're right where he is. And God, just as Jesus, while Jesus was poking him a little bit, he did it in love. He was trying to help him to move him along, to to take those fuller steps of faith that he needed to take. And I want to encourage you to continue that as well. Now, if that's a if you have crossed that line or crossed that bridge, if you will, as we talked a few weeks ago, that you've moved from just coming to see to you have believed and surrendered long ago in your life, this morning isn't so much for you to, to put your full trust in Jesus. 
Hopefully it's an encouragement and a reminder of what God's done in your life. But this morning really should be for you to think about your friends and family and the people around you and the realities of their world. So read with me. In John chapter 3, we're going to start with verse 1. The Bible says this, Now there was a man of the Pharisees, which meant he believed in the Bible truly. He was very... uh, had no doubt in God, and he was faithful to God, very careful of how he lived his whole life to to honor God in every way. So this was really a a godly, very deep kind of man of faith, if you will. He was a man of of the Pharisees. His name was Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews. He was just not a low-ranking leader. He was a a priest in the religious, um, uh, the church of the day, and he was a high-ranking official of of their time. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, very respectful teacher, in other words, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. He was paying attention. It's like, I got the message, Jesus. We know that you are from God. No denying that. You are obviously from God. But he has this big question in his mind, and I don't know if he couldn't get the question out. Have you ever trying, or have you ever been in a spot where you're trying to figure something out and you don't quite know how to say it, don't quite know what to ask? That's probably where Nicodemus is because Jesus jumps in there. He doesn't let him keep kind of sputtering and trying to figure it out. Jesus jumps in immediately and says this. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, in verse 3, I say to you, unless one is born again... He cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, unless somebody is born again, or born, that word born again, also it's a double meaning originally, born again and born from above. And in this case, both of them are true. Unless you are born again and born from God who is from above, you cannot see the kingdom of God. In other words, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven are synonymous. They're the same. So Nicodemus, you can't go to heaven... You can't please God. You can't be the person that God made you to be unless you are born again. Categorically, impossibility, there is something that you need in your life. This was news to Nicodemus. He had never taught this before. He had never heard this before. Here is a leader of Israel. and was like, what are you talking about? And Nicodemus in verse 4 said this. He said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? What are you talking about, Jesus? How can a a 50-year-old guy, go be born again. That's impossible. Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? He was a very detailed logistics guy. Like, what, what are you talking about? And Jesus, he's thinking physically. See, one of the mistakes of Nicodemus' life, spiritually, religiously, is he thought physically, primarily. That was his default setting. He, he thought physical stuff. The religious mistake that, that so many of the Jews had made in Jesus' day was they, they took God's word, but they, they, they relegated it to just the physical stuff. And Nicodemus was completely clueless about the spiritual side of things. So when Jesus said you've got to be born again and got to be born from above, he missed the above part, the spiritual part, and he's just thinking the physical part. And Jesus has to clue him in on the real things of what he's talking about. Jesus says in verse 5, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you. Whenever the Bible says truly, truly, it means like pay attention. It's like highlighting it. it it's like behold. He's like look out. Just get this. This is really important, Nicodemus. Get this. I'm saying to you, 
Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. The born of water here, by the way, guys, doesn't mean baptism. It's not saying you've got to be baptized and born in the Spirit. Pay attention. Nicodemus is trying to understand what this born-again thing means, and Jesus is not throwing in new stuff. If you're a teacher and your student is confused, you don't add new stuff in. You don't put more in. you you like, okay, let's get this, then we can build on it. So Jesus is just trying to help him wrestle with this physical and spiritual thing. And to, to kind of show that, Jesus follows up with it. He says in verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. Being born of the water is, is referring back, ladies, when your water breaks, like we, that's just talking about the water, just when you're born physically, Nicodemus, like, no, you don't need to go back inside your mama. No, we're not doing that. Once you're born physically in this world, you've experienced the physical birth. But I'm talking about something else. What's born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Nicodemus, you're not spiritually born again. Nicodemus, you're not alive spiritually. Nicodemus, you're only physical in this world. You're missing a whole other component to your life that you need. Verse 7, do not marvel. Don't be shocked about this. Don't be surprised. This should not be news to you. It is, but it shouldn't be. Don't be shocked that I said to you, you, by the way, you plural there, not just you, Nicodemus, but Jesus knows he's instructing Nicodemus and everybody that Nicodemus instructs, and he's telling all of us. He's saying, you, everybody, must, not could be, should be, would be a good idea. Yeah, that would be helpful. Must. Be born again. For the third time, Jesus told Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. Nicodemus, don't be surprised. I was born of the Spirit. You've got to be born again. He tells him three times in the process. He says, the wind blows in verse 8. And Jesus is explaining to him why this is a bit of a mystery and Nicodemus is struggling. By the way, the word for spirit and wind, some of you know and have heard this before, but it's the exact same word in the original Greek. So this is one place, usually when the Bible in original language, it has like, like the word love, the, the Greek language had five different words for love, and it could differentiate your love for ice cream from the love of your dog to the love of your spouse. Like it just was very careful about that. But every once in a while, not so much. And the spirit and wind are the exact same word, and it was kind of a play on words. Jesus is saying, hey, look, the wind, the spirit, in other words, blows where it wishes. You can't control it. You hear its sound. You don't really hear the wind as much as you hear what the wind is doing when it blows by. You, you hear the sound, but you don't know where it's coming from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. Nicodemus, you're right. This is a little bit of a mystery. This is a little hard to get your mind wrapped around because you've not seen the Spirit. You can't just go out and look at it. Nobody sees the wind. You just see the effects of the wind, whether it's the clouds blowing by or your hair blowing or you hear the whistle in your own ears or going through the leaves of the trees. But Nicodemus, it's the exact same way of the Holy Spirit. You never see the Holy Spirit enter into a person's life making them born again, alive again. You don't see that, and it is a mystery. It is a, an invisible thing, if you will. But Nicodemus, make no mistake about it, it's absolutely real, and you do see the effect of it in people's lives. We as a church love, I just, I'm addicted to watching the change in people's lives, helping people experience life with Jesus 
And so our whole purpose as a church is helping people experience life change that comes by knowing and following Jesus. What Jesus is saying is, is Nicodemus, the Holy Spirit comes into somebody's life and you see the fruit and the evidence and all of the results of that. That's where our life change comes from. It comes from the Holy Spirit when a person finally surrenders their life to Jesus Christ. It come, all these changes begin to happen in their life. Not because they're amazing, but because there's an amazing God who has brought them from dead, death spiritually to life spiritually and made them alive, kind of turn the lights on, if you will, and put a fire in the fireplace and turn the heat up, and all of a sudden the, the home is filled with music and, and joy and life because God himself lives inside of them. Three ingredients of what, what Jesus is trying to unpack for us this morning to help Nicodemus, who was a very religious person his whole life, but kind of missed the very heart of what God was up to. And it describes so many people in our, our world today. But three kind of just key ingredients that Jesus gets to to help Nicodemus understand it, but that we need to understand this morning. Three ingredients of our salvation, if you will. And the first one is, is that it is being uh, made alive, being born again by God the Holy Spirit. Now, depending on what your background is, and you might have had some friends along the way say, oh, be careful about those born-again churches or those born-again people, you know, warning you of those. And usually what they're talking about is not so much the actual what it means to be born again, but what they think it means. And it's usually they've seen somebody or something somewhere that they didn't like or turned them off, and they really don't know what it, what it really means. I don't, I don't know. Some of you guys are kind of debaters and inquisitive and a little skeptical and cynical, but i, I got to tell you, there's a lot of people that have told me things that, you know, oh, don't do that because it's bad and this and that, or this brand is awful and whatever. I'm like, really? How do you know? Well, did, did you have one? No, but I heard somewhere. You know, it, it just like, well, what do you mean you heard somewhere? It just, it, they're, they're passing on bad press. Listen, to be born again simply means that God himself has made you his child. That's all it means. It means you went from being physically dead, alive, physically alive, living in this world, but spiritually dead. We're all born into this world alive physically, but spiritually not alive. Our soul is present, but we need to be made Alive. We need to be birds, born again. And that is the role that the Holy Spirit plays in our life. These three ingredients, by the way, in this passage, we'll see that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, all three play a role in our salvation and, our, and on our way to heaven. All three of these ingredients, if you haven't, this might be something that's a little bit new for some of you as Christians, like I've heard John 3.16 my entire life, but did you know that as John 3 is unpacking, that what God is actually unpacking for us is the three different roles of the Trinity and as it plays out in our salvation, and the role of the Holy Spirit is to make you alive. We, theological terms, we call that regeneration. A starfish, when it loses an, an arm, not really an arm, but you know that little, that little pointy part that goes out from it, it's actually able to regrow that, and it's called regenerating. And that's what the Holy Spirit does, taking that which is dead, that which is missing, and making it alive. And Nicodemus missed that whole piece. So folks, if you have never been born again by the Spirit of God, 
then what Jesus just told you this morning is, is you have no hope of heaven without that. Now, that's what Jesus said. So for some of you, you're like, I don't know about that born-again thing. I've heard bad things about it. Well, to be honest with you, that's who we are as a church. That's who I am as a person, and that's who we are and represent. As I'm looking out here, the vast majority of you guys know who we are, and well, I don't feel like we're crazy, wild, wacko, you know, drink weird Kool-Aid kind of people. We just want to open the Bible and let God tell us what we should do. And Jesus, as he opened the word to Nicodemus, he said, Nicodemus, you're a religious man. Good. You believe the Bible. Good. But Nicodemus, you're missing something. You're not born again, and you've got to be. You cannot see. You cannot have any single little part of God's kingdom in heaven without this. So if that's something that you have not personally experienced, what you need to be saying right now is, God, I don't know what that is exactly. And God, I'm not sure, because I've kind of thought that was weird, and it sounds a little bit even weird now that I'm listening to Sean talk about it, but God, if that's what it takes for me to go to heaven and be assured of my salvation and my relationship with you, then God, I want that. And if that's where you are right now, then I encourage you to simply say that. God, I want that. If that's what you require of me, I want to be born again. Second thing I want you to notice. That's the first thing. The second ingredient of the salvation is God's love. Nicodemus goes on and, 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 the, and Jesus has this conversation with him. He's still a little confused. I find, by the way, I find oftentimes it's almost better have you ever tried to train somebody to do something if they've spent their whole life learning the wrong way to do it? Some of you are educators have done that. Like, it, it, you know, maybe you have to train somebody at work or they come from a different job or some other place, or maybe your place of work just does it differently. But if they try to do it their way, it's not going to work and mess everything up. They're actually harder to train than people that come in with a blank slate. People that come in with a blank slate and say, I don't know anything, they're just like, I don't know anything. Tell me what I should know. And they listen. People that come in and think they know, they're the hardest ones to teach. Those of you who are teachers, when your students think they really know, they don't listen to you. They talk back to you and they just, whatever, and you're like, would you just please listen? You're clueless and don't know it. Nicodemus is struggling here. So I feel his pain because we've all at times thought we've known stuff when we really didn't. Nicodemus isn't getting this. And he's still confused. It's almost, for, for some people, it's almost easier for me to talk to an adult who doesn't know anything about God or Jesus because I can fill in the blanks. It's actually harder when people their whole life have been around it and heard and kind of accepted some different things. It takes a while to unprogram and to unexplain things. I remember the first person that I ever helped. I was a, a pastor, a young pastor. I think I was like 23 years old, 24 years old. And the first person that God in the ministry of that church just that ended up trusting Christ, walking through that journey, surrendering to Christ. I'd had a Bible study with, with her and another one. Both of these ladies, they were much older than me at the time. I was probably 23. They were probably 60, 65. One was actually older than that, I think. And we had a Bible study. I had a Bible study with those two ladies every week for like six months. And I'll never forget the day when the one woman knew Jesus and was trying to help her friend get to know Jesus. And we had some great conversations. And I could tell just early on, like she just wasn't, didn't quite get it. And this is kind of where Nicodemus was. And the one day I knew she got it because she said, well, that's it. That's all there is to it. 
All this time, I've been looking for all this, like thinking it's going to be hard. See, she had been trained in religion and all. You got to do this, do that, do this. And like these, like filling out a 1040, you know, you're going to go. I mean, if you got to just pay your taxes every year, you got to jump through all these hoops and fill out these forms. Surely to go to heaven, you got to do all of this stuff. And she finally realized like, oh, Jesus did everything. I just have to simply receive what he did. Oh, it's that easy. It took six months to just... Un, not so much unprogrammed, but to cut through bad past teaching. That's where Nicodemus is here, folks. By the way, you have friends like that as well. We have to be patient and teach and help and pray and work with people, and Jesus is as well. And I'm so glad because he made it simple for Nicodemus, and we can make it simple for ourselves and everybody else. But look what Nicodemus said in verse 9. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? What are you talking about, Jesus? Like, I, I mean, he's sputtering. He's like, What? This is crazy. I've never heard any of this before. Jesus answered him, Are you not a teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things? Jesus kind of, in, in, a, in a, this is probably going to sound sexist, and I don't mean it to, but in a guy's world, he just kind of like stiff-armed him, like, what are you talking about, man? You're supposed to man up. You're supposed to be the one teaching this stuff, and you don't even get this? Why are you shocked at this? He's trying to humble Nicodemus and help him to realize that, that Jesus isn't the shocking one, that Nicodemus is and what he doesn't know. And Jesus goes on in verse 11, Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we've seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Nicodemus, I'm telling you stuff. I've been there. You have not. I've seen it. I'm telling you truth. And the problem is, isn't that what I'm saying doesn't make sense. The problem isn't that this is just too complicated. The problem isn't that your spiritual IQ is just not there. Like this, you ought to be able to get this. The problem is, is you just are a little, a little stubborn, a little prideful, and you're just not willing to take this in, Nicodemus. That's the real problem. You're not willing to receive this. And Jesus says in verse 12, helping, trying to get him to, to, to break through that pride, in verse 12 he says, look, if I had told you earthly things and you don't believe, like I'm talking to you about when, Nicodemus, and you're even struggling with this, if I told you about earthly things and you're not believing, how can I tell you about heavenly things that you have no clue about that are amazing? If you can't even handle this little bit of stuff. He says, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. He's saying this, Nicodemus, you're a teacher of Israel. You think that you've got this figured out and that you've explained and worked hard and you're in a religious system that took God's words, my words, and you believe them as you should have, but you guys have added even more on top of it and you figured that you have kind of made your scaffolding to heaven, that you've kind of built your way and all of these rules that when a person lives this way, their, their place in heaven is secure and everything's good. Nicodemus, nobody's ever figured that out. Nobody has ever ascended from earth to heaven. Nobody. This is not a matter of a person being smart enough, logical enough. This is not a matter of a person being good enough, figuring it out on themselves, making their way to heaven. Nicodemus, the only way that this whole thing works is that God had to come down to earth because earth is not good enough to figure this out. I've come down as the Son of Man has descended come down to explain this to you, and you're struggling to accept what I'm trying to tell you. And then Jesus goes to a story that Nicodemus had known well. A little story in the book of Numbers. 
And he refers to him. He says, Nicodemus, think about this. He said, as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Nicodemus, do you remember that story when Israel was being rebellious to God? And they were complaining about their life, and they didn't like what God had given them. Nicodemus, remember when God was angry at them? And he sent poisonous snakes throughout the camp to bite people, to teach people a lesson that their sin has consequences. Let's go a little bit more personal, that their complaining has consequences. Why, this is a great verse, Mom and Dad. You're complaining about dinner tonight? God might send you a rattlesnake in your bed tonight. You know, we laugh, but God did. Like God was so offended at their complaining. It's convicting to me. How often have you and I complained about everything from what we're eating and what we're, we're wearing or what the weather is? Oh, my goodness. And God gave them a death sentence and sent them snakes throughout. It's amazing how our, all of us at some time or another even look at our own churches that we're in and we complain about our church <laughs> and, you know, none of us would complain if we realized how offended God is about all of that, complaining about our spouses, our family, our friends. It's amazing how, anyway, that's a whole other point. You're getting the picture. And so, Moses, or you remember that story, Nicodemus, that God sent those snakes and bit those people, and the people got the message, and they went to Moses and said, Moses, we have sinned. We should not be complaining. God is displeased with us. Help us, Moses. Our family's dying. And then God made a way of salvation and, and told you to told the people of Israel to make a, a snake out of metal, a bronze snake, put it on a pole, and then when anybody got bitten by a snake, all they had to do was look at that snake and be healed. Is that where the whole medical field gets that whole snake image, isn't it? The whole healing thing, right? I meant to look that up, but right? You guys know what I'm talking about? You ever wondered that? You, you know what I'm talking about, right? Okay, that comes right out of the Bible. I don't know how people deny like that the world really did believe in God. I mean, like it's everywhere, not only on our money or whatever. It's right there in the medical world. It comes out of that story. Jesus saying, Nicodemus, that story is what's going on here. I, the Son of Man, is going to be the one that's lifted up. I'm, except on a pole, I'm going to be hanging on a cross, dying for sins. And that when anybody, the world looks at me for salvation and realizes that they've sinned against the holy God and they're experiencing the consequences of death, and all they have to do is look to me and put their trust in me and their hope, just as the Old Testament story when people were bitten, know they were dying, it could be, I could picture people being carried in, quick, get me there, let me look. When they would look upon that serpent, putting their only hope of staying alive in God's plan of what God said. Well, that's so weird. What, what's so special about There's nothing special. A bronze serpent didn't have any special incantation on it or no mystical nothing. It was just they were obeying God and doing what God said, and it was a picture. That serpent on the pole is a picture of one day that Jesus would be on a cross dying for our sins and that God wanted to make that pathway of salvation. Nicodemus, this, um, let me put all this picture together for you. There's something going on here that you have not understood. Now I'm going to come back to that and explain that a little bit further. But let me get to the second thing. 
I, we're more than halfway through, so don't think, oh my goodness, my lunch is coming. We have whatever going on. I'm, I won't take as long on these next pieces, but these are important. Jesus jumps from that, and in verse 16, he explains this. Nicodemus, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Ingredient number two, God the Holy Spirit is the one who makes us alive, makes us born again. Ingredient number two is, is that God the Father loves us. You see, the role of salvation starts in the heart of God the Father who loves us and loves the world. Now, Nicodemus knew that God loved him. But what Nicodemus did not know is that God loved the whole world. And that was heresy to Nicodemus into the world. You see, my point for us this morning is, is that every one of us, God loves us. There's nobody in this world that can say, well, God doesn't love me. You know, I wish God would love me. I'm not a part of the privileged few. God loves everybody. You see, for some people, Nicodemus didn't quite have this trouble, but for some people today, people look at God and they're like, well, I don't want to trust God for salvation because God hasn't turned, my life has not turned out the way I want, and I'm mad at God for letting this, this, and this happen. God's not a very good God, and he's let all these bad things happen to me. Let me give you, help you with that. What this verse is saying is that for you and I to come to this point, regardless of how we have viewed God in our past, we have to come to the point where we say, God, you say that you love me and that you've told me that you love me by sending your only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for my sins. Think about it this way. Let's say that each one of us here this morning has leukemia. We are going to die without a bone marrow transplant, somebody that can come and step in and, and help us. Let's say you've got an, you do the, the I, I don't know any, the, anything medically, all right? So if I'm wrong with this, you medical people in the world, just say, Sean, you're just clueless. So just love me anyway, all right? Just bear with me. But let's say you do the family research and all of that, and there's only one person in your family that there's like a match that can give you their 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 bone marrow to give you a recovery. The doctor's already told you, you are a dead man, dead woman walking. You're, you're, you're done. Said it probably nicer than that, but unless we can find bone marrow. And you've searched all of your relatives, your close relatives, all of that, and there's an, there's an aunt who lives on the other side of the country that you've hardly ever met, maybe twice in your life, but who's willing to give you a bone marrow transplant. And she gives you that, and it saves your life. Are you really, for the rest of your life, going to complain because she never bought you a Christmas gift? Because she never came to your graduation? Because maybe she sent you a Christmas gift that you didn't like or a birthday gift that you didn't like, and maybe you wanted her to do some things that she didn't do because she didn't love you the way you wanted her to love you? Or are you really, for the rest of your life, going to say, my aunt rocks, and she saved my life? And she was willing to sacrifice herself and all of that pain from me. You see, it's a lie of the enemy. It, it makes us very selfish in this world, thinking that somehow our whole world has to be perfect for us to trust a God in heaven to actually love us and save us. Actually, if we step back and think of it, 
the argument that, that we can buy into makes us more like that spoiled child that says, my parents really didn't love me because I didn't get what I wanted for my birthday. I didn't, this didn't turn out the way that I wanted. They didn't take me to the dance or the party the way I wanted, and this and that, and instead of missing the big picture. What Jesus has given us here, guys, is a big picture. God gave his only son to die for us. Like if everything else in our world fell apart and it was the worst possible scenario, God still sent His Son to die in our place so that we don't have to go to hell and we don't have to live eternally separated from Him. He took the punishment that we earned, all the bad stuff that we've ever done wrong to forgive us so that we could know Him and have an eternity forever with Him. So the second ingredient of our salvation, that this whole salvation thing started in the heart of God from forever in the past that God said, I'm going to make these people and I'm going to lavish my love on them in the whole world. That's a reality. You see, without that love of God the Father, God the Holy Spirit doesn't come and make us alive. It starts with God's love. It's purchased through Jesus. That's the third one. And then it's delivered to us. The Holy Spirit is kind of like the FedEx UPS guy that kind of brings that salvation to us. These wonderful, oh, stop by the door and give you these wonderful packages. He's the, the one, although he's more than that. He's kind of like delivers it and sets it up and does all of this work inside of you. God the Father bought it, or loves us, paid for it. Jesus paid the price, if you will, in his blood. And God the Holy Spirit delivers it to us. So the third thing, the third ingredient, is Jesus, God the Son, purchased it for us. It was paid the price. That's what Jesus is alluding to in verse 18, or 14, excuse me. The Son of Man is going to be lifted up. And then it goes on and is explained, is that Jesus came, God gave His only Son to die for us, is what He's talking about, that whoever believes in Him, anybody in the world, should not perish. They don't have to die because Jesus is going to the one who's going to die for us, but instead have eternal life. For God did not send a son in the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. You see, the whole reason that Jesus died, guys, was so that you and I could be delivered from our sin. You and I were convicted before God. We were condemned. We, we were born into this world under condemnation. Most people view the world almost like they're, they're, they're living life in neutral. All right? Kind of like coming to a fork in the road. We kind of think, okay, everything's good. I'm good with God. Everything's okay. And as long as I don't take that wrong road, as, I don't, as long as I don't make that decision to take that wrong fork, I'm okay because I'm on the good road. And my life and everything's okay with God. And what this verse actually tells us that we're going to see is it's not reality. We're all actually born on the wrong road. And that we are condemned already. That's what verse 18 is talking about. Whoever believes in him, talking about whoever believes in Jesus, is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Nicodemus you're a really nice guy, and you're a really religious guy, but Nicodemus, because you don't understand what I'm talking about, you are not born again. You've really not surrendered, believing, surrendered in me as your Lord and Savior. And what, the, and what I'm telling you, Nicodemus, is, is that you are condemned already because you've not given your life 
to me. You see, here's a warning that God's telling us. Is that it's not that our life is neutral. And it's not like we're going to one day stand before God and God's going to, hmm, I'm going to have to think about this a little bit. You know, you did some good stuff. Yeah, I saw that day when you pulled your sister's pigtails. That was a bad move. You know, that was not cool. I saw when you took some money from your parents. Yeah, that's bad too. I saw when you did these things. But you know, but you helped your mom make dinner that day. You know, you were you were a nice person. You did all these good things. And yeah, I think I think you're I think you're pretty good. We're gonna I'm gonna let you in. It's not that God, it's not that we're just gonna one day that's gonna be figured out. What Jesus is telling us is we all are terminally ill spiritually right now. We are dead men and women walking. And that Jesus came to this earth not to condemn us because we were already condemned. He came to this earth to rescue us, to save us now and for all of eternity. See, there's a warning in this. Most people don't realize it. We think that somehow the condemnation comes later on. You know, after God kind of thinks through and works through everything, kind of maybe these big balances in heaven, if you do more good than bad, and that all gets weighed out and figured out when you get to heaven, that's not the way it works. Jesus says we are condemned today if we have not surrendered and believed on the Lord Jesus and accepted his salvation and are born again, and we've looked to Jesus on the cross you see, those who were bitten by the serpent, they could do everything they want. You know, like, oh, I put a tourniquet in it. I'm going to try to get this, suck out the poison, which, by the way, doesn't really work. Don't do it if you ever get bitten by a rattlesnake. You know, it just... The only thing that would save them would be submitting to God's plan of salvation. You get bitten, admit it, accept that you're guilty, and accept God's only provision for your salvation. That's what it means to truly believe in Jesus, to where we recognize that we're guilty and we submit to God's provision, which is not us being religious, not us doing all this stuff, not trying to make our way to heaven, but instead accept that God has made the way from heaven to earth through His Son, and we simply commit ourselves to Jesus to save us, to be our Savior, to be our Lord. We talk about surrendering to help people to understand and accept that. So folks, if you have not ever surrendered really in your heart, Nicodemus, you're, you're in common company. If you're religious and been brought up that way and always believed in God and, and always thought that God loves you and is going to take care of you and you look back in your life, Nicodemus was the same way. His parents brought him up that way. There was never a time he didn't believe in God. Never a time they thought God, he wasn't a child of God. Thought, never was a time they didn't think that God cared for him. But he didn't get it. Jesus was telling him, Nicodemus, you stand right now today condemned because your religion's not good enough. All of that stuff in your background's not good enough. Nicodemus, you need to be born again. You need the Holy Spirit to come in your life and to make you alive spiritually. Nicodemus, you need to accept God's method of salvation instead of trying to earn your way to heaven and make God let you into heaven, trying to manipulate God somehow through your religious stuff. You need to accept what God wanted to do, that Jesus died for you and submit yourself to Him and invite me to be 
Lord of your life. Surrender to me. Some of you this morning, that's what God's trying to say to you. You've been examining, you've been exploring, you've been weighing stuff you've taught in the past, things you've thought, and you've been a little confused. And God's trying to help you to break through to be just like Nicodemus to say, okay, I need to let some of that stuff go, and I just need to ask Jesus to save me. If that's where you are, and this now makes sense to you, then I'm going to encourage you, even now, while I'm even talking, you can do this, or when we're singing the next song, whichever, don't, don't, don't leave here today. If this now all of a sudden makes sense to you and you get it, just simply say, Lord Jesus, I want you to be in charge of my life. I want you to save me. I'm not trusting anything else. I want you. That's what some of you this morning need to do. Your response needs to be that. That's what Jesus was trying to get Nicodemus to do. Now, Nicodemus doesn't seem to take that step today. I think he did eventually. I really do. But God wants you to take that step. For the rest of us, if you've already taken that step long ago, what you and I need to realize, guys, is, is our family and our friends, it's not like they're living in a safe zone right now. It's not like they're okay. Hopefully they can get this when they die. We need to realize they have the sentence of death, of condemnation on them. They, have, they are terminally ill spiritually. And there should be an urgency for us. And I know, as I, we, we as River, we talk about these things, we pray for these things, so I, I know your family weighs hard and heavy on you. And, and I'll be honest, there's times where that load gets heavy. I like to laugh and have fun. I don't like to think about bad stuff and death and all of that. And so I get it. And I'm, you know, as humans, we only have so much of a capacity to handle those things. So somewhere along the way, we have to have the sobering reality of where our family and our coworkers are. When we go into work, we need to recognize all these people that I work with, I don't want to see any of them die. I don't want to see any of them go into eternity without Jesus. So we need to keep that reality and not just ignore it, but we also need to keep the reality that there's a powerful God in heaven who works. And that's the piece that I think, I think we go too light on the other because we don't want to live a heavy life. I like to laugh, you guys know that, and I like to have fun, but I also want to live in the real world. But the thing that helps me is there's a God in heaven who's powerful. And that he wants to use me in their life. And he wants to use my church. And he wants to help my lame little things and my lame little prayers and my lame little invitations that I give out to use that stuff powerfully in people's lives. And so commit yourself to be an instrument of God in people's lives. As a church, we, we are all about trying to help one another to grow and, and fellowship and all of that. But there's a twofold piece to everything we do. It's us growing and maturing, but it's also us being a life raft, a, a rescue mission. What good is a fire department if they don't ever put out any fires? What good is an emergency department if they don't ever take in any ambulances of people hurting? What good is an EMT if they don't ever go out and help somebody in the street that needs help? What good is a church if it has the hope of the gospel and the truth of salvation, but really doesn't ever share it and help people. 
So much like a hospital, we do our own stuff and, you know, Buzz trying to be healthy. And we've got our wellness center, right? You know, eat good, eat well, work out, physically be spiritually fit and all of that and grow. But we also got some triage going on, some critical care, that there's people that, that need help in their life. And, and it's both of those things together. So that's why we're trying to do with Operation Christmas Child and it, it's an opportunity. If you've got some of those people in your world and it makes sense and that's the next step for them, invite them. Just invite them to a party. That's all it's going to be. There's not going to be preaching. Even, I, I might pray. One of our pastors might pray over the boxes when we're done. It's probably a good thing, but that's like it. I mean, this is just this is meant for us to be together and have fun. Not hiding the gospel, but letting him come and see. Taste the waters in the middle of that. So, each of us this morning, looking at John 3, should have something significant on our hearts. Our own eternity and the eternity of the people around us. So I'm going to ask our team to come up and we're going to close in prayer and give each of us an opportunity to respond to God. Some of us, this is a, a big step. I don't want this to be, this is not a guilt or heavy thing. I'm really actually just trying to help us to deal with reality. The good news is, is if you've never trusted Jesus before today, today you can leave this place knowing that the God of heaven accepts you, that you're born again, and you don't have to wonder tomorrow where you're going to be and if you're going to get it and all of that. Today you can get that settled by simply asking Jesus to save you of your sin and forgive you. And knowing that as you do that, that you're putting your trust in the Lord Jesus and He makes you alive spiritually. Well, Sean, how do I know? It's like the wind. You just trust that God is going to do that in your life. And the rest of us, maybe there's a person or two that on your heart that you need to pray for right now, or maybe you need to commit to picking an invitation up and invite them to, or maybe to invite them over to your house or go get coffee with them. I don't know. Maybe even you need to make a commitment to just, you know what? Every Monday morning when I go to work, I'm going to pray for my coworkers by name as I go to work. Some of them drive me absolutely nuts. Tell you a secret, if they trust Jesus and Jesus changed your life, they, their life, they won't drive you nearly as nuts. You actually can become friends. Like it could be a little self serving along the way. But do something to be that lighthouse in the world around you. So let's pray, would you? Father, I thank you for Jesus who loves us and died for us. And thank you, Father, that you loved us and you sent your Son, you gave him to us as the most ultimate gift ever. Forgive us when we have complained and want more in life than just simply that. And Lord, we're all guilty of it. Father, thank you for the Holy Spirit that you in turn send to make us alive spiritually. Lord, it's invisible. <laughs> we, we don't fully understand it, but we see the effects of it in people's lives, and we see it in our own life over time. Thank you for those realities. So, Father, whatever needs to happen in people's lives today, I pray for your spirit to work profoundly. Minimize all distractions and expectations. And Lord, regardless of whether or not somebody has been in river their entire life and wondering what other people will think if they step forward and say, but I've never really been a Christian. Lord, would you help every person today that needs to make that commitment to do it? No excuses, no reservations, no obstacles. Father, help them, I pray in Jesus' name.